the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Scott has come up in Fred Armisen's comedy a handful of times. There was the infamous Bart Scompson bootleg shirt skit on Portlandia. He's done some Scott humor on SNL. And it seems like every time he's on The Tonight Show, he's playing upstrokes on the guitar. As it turns out, Fred is a big fan of Scott, so he sat down with us for this podcast. He tells us about the various bands he likes. He tells us stories from his time playing drums in 90s punk band Trenchmouth, and he reveals the inspiration behind the Bart Scompson shirt skit. This has been kind of a white whale guest for us for a long time. Yeah, I actually remember, I don't even know how long ago it was, but it was a while ago. You're like, Aaron, I want to get Fred Armisen on the show. Yeah. And I was like, ah, I, me too, but I don't even know if we can. Sure. The reason I wanted to get him on was I saw him I saw him perform stand up kind of right after things opened up the first time during the pandemic. Yeah. Right before things were going to kind of shut down again for a while. And he told a bunch of ska jokes in his set. And so I was like we got to get him on. And they weren't just like corny ska jokes, right? They were like he clearly had knowledge and awareness of ska. Yeah, the setup, it wasn't the usual setup where it's like Ska's the punching bag. It was basically being like, oh yeah, and then in Ska, they do this. Yeah. So it was it was very much about the music, not at the expense of the music. That's what happens. If you tell a good Ska joke, you're going to be on this show. <laughs> you got that? All you Scamedians out there? All right, Scamedians. Oh, God, you should kill me for saying that joke. No, that was great. One of the times you were on The Tonight Show, Mm. And you were doing, uh, you had an acoustic guitar and you were talking about 
guitar styles in different countries. Yeah. For Latin America, you you said ska. You, you talked about how popular ska is in Latin America, which is very true. What I'm curious about is you. Well, I'm curious about your experience in Latin America and experiencing ska. So over the years, I've, I've um, I'd say like in the past, I don't know, four years or maybe more now, uh, I've been going to Santiago, Chile, mm-hmm. um, to shoot this show, Los Espookies, and but when I've been down there, it's been for like a considerable chunk of time um before that i when i was a kid i lived in brazil um in rio de janeiro for a couple years i was in like second and third grade and then my mom is from venezuela so i've spent a a lot of like you know early early childhood in, in venezuela just visiting family and stuff but chile is more recent and uh I went over to Argentina a little bit, but mostly I was in Chile. And I just, it's more of like a general feeling. Like, you know, when you travel and you go someplace and you just get a sense of like uh, what your taxi driver is playing on the radio, which is just what's around, like, you know, what's at a restaurant, what's just, just around. And I feel like ska really, I, that's something I just heard a lot there. You know, it just would come up and it wouldn't be any band in particular. It's just like a sound like, oh, I guess, you know, this is what's popular here. Yeah, that happened to me in Mexico as well, because Scott's really big in Mexico. But yeah, it was like cars driving past me. I would hear like for like a second, I'd hear Scott. Yeah. And then I'd see people with Scott shirts, you know, and not like necessarily the big bands, just bands that you would know if you were aware of Scott. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems to be, I uh, interpret that as like just being international, Mm -hmm. you know, but uh, I mean, I don't know what goes on everywhere (laughs) else in the world, but I do think that like, that's like a general sense that I got when I was in South America, that it was like almost like it more than um, hardcore, more than other genres of, of punk. Ska seemed to sort of because I could see it being friendly too. It's like a friendly kind of music that's kind of mm-hmm. inviting. So I could I understand how it would work well on the radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean those those countries have all had pretty big acts in their own country. I think that have really helped carry that music forward. Yeah. So and yeah, and I I think you know the mix of like horns, it's danceable, but it's kind of punk like. I think it mixes well. And I think something about that guitar, that sort of, you know, eighth note guitar thing, kind of, uh, that's kind of inviting because it's kind of repetitive. You know, it's like a little party. It's like a little celebration. So something about that also is kind of, as opposed to like a long guitar solo or like a sad acoustic part, something about electric <laughs> uh you know that that steady you know those chords going over and over kind of you know draws you in it seems like and i again I, i'm not like an expert in latin america but it seems like oh Scott, you are i, I think you I, are. <laughs> <laughs> we all are <laughs> metal and ska are seem like they do really well in latin america yeah or um i would say goth too 
like goth, goth yeah. music, uh, or that might be. I wonder if that's more Mexico, but um, like some goth and then some like you know. I feel like everyone brings this up, but like the Smiths are really popular in in Mexico. Um, but yeah, the, these these extremes. You know, as a matter of fact, speaking of metal, I did go to a metal festival in Chile. Mm. But my the first time I went, I just happened to find out about this um by festival i mean it was just playing at this one club but there was like a bunch of like but i mean like death metal bands um and yeah to your point it was it was really big and so the that i think that was the second time you did a, a ska thing on tonight's show was the was the first one when you had the electric guitar and you were going through the history of punk yeah yeah were you kind of making up the lyrics yeah yeah your mom and dad were the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, just because uh, when I picture like American ska, I picture it as blunt, like like the lyrics being really, you know, uh, just like set out for you and just really clear. They're very clear lyrics. Yeah, yeah. And and there's an optimism to them, in my opinion. Like in my yeah. view of um, American ska, it's like it, there's an optimism to it. So that, I don't know. That's that just it was like words that rhymed, and I thought, oh, that seems. <laughs> <laughs> it seems, yeah, like the the pronunciation of it seemed very mom and dad. You know, like it seemed very like American. It sounded like a, a less than Jake song to me. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> could be could be anybody. Yeah, I haven't got to see your uh, uh, comedy for bass players show yet. I think you just started doing that. Yeah, I did. Well, I did it in San Francisco for this comedy festival. Uh, it, I just love playing in San Francisco at the Great American Music Hall. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had already done stand up for drummers there. I, I taped a special there. And then I did a guitar player thing in, I think, 2019. Or was it 2020? Um, and then this just seemed like the next step like in, in, in the next obvious thing <laughs> it was like three nights in a row and i had uh i had uh, guest bass players and the f- first one was les claypool then uh kathy valentine the second and then mike durnt on the oh. last one and it was all great it was really fun you know the bass is just such a strange and powerful instrument yeah. Not that like I need to explain <laughs> instruments to you, but I, I meaning I, you know it's like a the bass is such a mystery to me. Why is that? Because it's it's so um under appreciated in a way and that like your ears are just sort of going to everything else. Mm-hmm. But as soon as it drops out, it's like everything is dead. Yeah. But in ska though, it's really it really is kind of like driving the melody a lot of the times. Oh yeah. Because you've got that guitar doing the the eighth note thing, yeah. And Scott bass players really do; they are always solid. Mm-hmm. Like that's like an area you can't uh, really, you know, you really can't drop the ball with no. with Scott and obviously with reggae too. Yeah, anytime, anytime we we you know learn of a non ska band and some some member of that band is into ska and reggae, nine times out of ten it's the bass player. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because they probably grew up listening to like reggae and ska, and it was like a fundamental part of their uh, building their bass, bass lines and understanding the bass instrument. Yeah. It seems like it's a, like a, there's such a big connection I, between bass and reggae and ska. 
kind of like um because I can't tell if it's the drummer because that's also like defines it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, th- there are other genres of music where, like, if you're you know if, if the bass player isn't great or if you know uh, the bass player isn't really um, you know laying everything down, it's okay. But I just feel like yeah, we're just making the same point. But I'm just saying that like <laughs> Scott, Scott, it's like you really can't. It's just not the same if if that bass player isn't you know. Get like the blueprint to the whole song, you know. Did did you ever, um, or can you play like a solid traditional ska reggae drum part? Do you know the nuances of that? So, first answer is yes. I feel like when I was in Trench Mouth, we had like some uh influence of uh like dub and ska, mm-hmm. and yeah, for sure. And I'm really into timbales. So yes on timbales and then I would always tune my snare really high and sort of you know I would do like not rim shots like you know the clicking one but like where you hit the stick yeah on the head and like the rim at the same time so it's almost like metallic sounding so mm-hmm. so I would say yes but when it comes to reggae I think that a true reggae drummer is uh, a, a very real thing that I've only played a little bit of. So, so I can't, I don't hold that badge. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so where like a a guitar player, there's so many guitar players who know the blues and who could play the blues, but they're, it's a smaller number that's like, okay, but do you really, really know it? And, you know, are you fluent? So, Scott, I would say yes. And then um, reggae, I'm like, I would need a couple years of really learning it. I mean to say also that like, we all have an image of what a reggae drummer really sounds like. But when you really, you know, watch a real um, reggae drummer, it's not what you had in your head. Yeah. With all the offbeats and the little you know, fills and stuff. There's something way more steady um, that uh, you'd, I think you've really got to be having, I think you really have had to have played reggae for a long time to really get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause even if you can like literally play it, you might not, it might not sound natural because that's what I think. Yeah. 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 Cause I like the, 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 a lot of the Jamaican reggae or even like the old ska, like, like Lloyd Nib from Scottalites. Uh-huh. It's like a natural, it's, it's kind of like the bass is playing, the bass drum is doing like, like opposite of what you would do as a, as a yeah. rock musician, but it's not in a stilted way where if I'm, you know, I mean, I, I play drums and I, I grew up playing Scott punk, but so it's not like what we're talking about. It's what you were talking about. And to, to play like real traditional ska, real traditional reggae would, I would sound like mechanical. Yeah. Or, or like imitation. Yeah. There was one drummer, I'll never remember what band it was, but there was like a pretty uh, heavy reggae scene in Chicago when I lived there. And I saw some band, they were from out of town, but the drummer had an electronic kit. I don't know what brand it was, but he, I remember thinking, oh, that's really how you play it. Where he wasn't, it wasn't important to him to have like timbales everywhere and like little splash cymbals. But he had this really steady feel that was like that 
really even even on an electronic kit that was to me that really def- was like the definition of what reggae is supposed to sound like mm-hmm. yeah. where it didn't matter what he was playing because i'm just guessing that he had an electronic kit for travel because mm-hmm. it was just probably easier to um cart around yeah it breaks down so much smaller yeah but but that that sort of like opened my mind to like oh it's not about um you know having like a, a reggae kit where does ska begin for you I, i'm gonna assume that it came from two-tone first yes uh and i grew up on in, in long island in new york um you know maybe 30 or 40 minutes outside of new york city and when i think back to like when i truly heard um ska and the specials it it wasn't through some cool record store or anything like that it was on a regular rock fm station hmm. it wasn't even on a station that was veering into like turning into a new wave station mm-hmm. They just would play whatever, you know, Boston or the Eagles. But somewhere in there, they would play uh, a message to you, Rudy, Mm -hmm. and gangsters. And then, I don't know, Joe Jackson. You know, it was this weird, like, which, thank God it happened. But for me, it was a real accepting of, they didn't even announce it. Like, here's a, you know, strange new (laughs) kind of music. It, they would just play it. And then the specials were on Saturday Night Live. And, oh, it was like, they were the, the, to this day, I think of it as like the best musical performance of anything on any TV show. Definitely the best I've ever seen on SNL. But I couldn't yeah. believe my eyes. Oh, I was in, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, when Neville Staples comes down the stairs holding the Tommy gun. Oh, <laughs> cool. That <thing> is ever. <laughs> so cool. And they looked great. Yeah. Uh, and I was in sixth grade. And um, yeah, so that w- around then is like my first exposure to, um, yeah, it was, it was two tone stuff. And then as my friends were getting records and stuff, then, you know, like they would know more about like, the English Speed and the Selector and Madness. Madness was really big too. Like I remember um, early on, uh, like seeing videos, like Madness videos, and being like, what is, you know, oh, that's what England looks like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that was like the, the muted colors and stuff. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing was so romantic to me. Like I was, it was so um, listener friendly, and oh man, I, I really, I was really hooked hearing like this, especially the specials. But um, yeah, madness, all, all of that was like really, really worked for me. I always thought the madness, um, madness, how well they did here was always interesting because of all those bands, they're the ones that were the most like British, like like yeah. you were saying the vi- the visuals and the video, the the the, the lyrics. Very, very British accent in the songs. Yeah. A lot of their influences, like Ian Dury and stuff, like that stuff is just so British. Um, it probably doesn't make a lot of sense to uh, uh, American kids, but maybe some of that, the fact that it just is British is part of the appeal. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's something like um, uh, Monty Python, the way that's so British, but something about yeah. it just worked in, in America anyway. 
Yeah. Or, you know, or that's the reason it worked. So, yeah, because Madness were like for real huge. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny thinking about like punk is something that, you know, struggled to get on the airwaves or whatever, however you want to call it. But when I, they were like truly, you know, on the radio and on MTV and stuff. Did you have a moment where you understood that this was a separate genre or did it all just kind of seem like these are all part, just pieces of punk rock? To me, it was like I took it as pieces of punk rock. Mm-hmm. I was just, um, even if they didn't intend it that way, that's too bad on them. I'm like, well, I'm sorry, but you're all going in my record collection. <laughs> so you're, you know, you're going to be in there with every other one of these punk bands. And to me, it's going to be the same genre. And I mean, it could be the haircuts, I guess, you know, that kind of like short hair meant a lot to me. Um, and now that I'm thinking back, because I, I did not pre-think these answers. I want to also, I should add that like, as we all got into The Clash, I mean, they had a bunch of ska songs. Mm-hmm. So there was that. And then we forget, or I forget that The Police were a ska band, you know? I know yeah. that they were huge and stuff, but like, those are, those are full-on ska songs, you know? And I remember like Sting would wear like a, you know, an English beat shirt. And and they, they brought the specials or the specials opened up for them in the U S for some of the touring that they did here. Oh, wow. Yeah. I guess they really, you know, that was, it was really tied into that. So I guess with the clash and the police and, and also, I mean, obviously like every other new wave band had like at least a couple of ska songs, which is weird because I was going to ask what you guys thought of that, because there's, I'm not talking about bands like The Police, but I mean, like, there there are bands like XTC mm-hmm. that even though, you know, you don't think of them as a ska band, what, what, do you, what do we think of the fact that, you know, there'd be like, I don't know, two ska songs on, on one of their albums or something? Yeah, like, I, I think Down in the Cockpit is one. Yeah. I, well, I, I love XTC. I think XTC are one of the greatest bands. Um, and I like I like that their Scott songs were very much XTC songs. Yeah. And so they so they were very unusual and, and unique and didn't sound like the ska songs that the two tone bands were playing. Right. I'm sure because of the timing and they're all like you know, late seventies, early eighties. I'm sure it was all like this everybody was listening to everybody and sort of influencing each other. I'm sure that was probably what was going on. They probably weren't like, we're gonna be two tone, but they're probably like, oh, let's let's throw little specials in here or something. Yeah. Um, and I thought I think it was cool. Yeah. And it really fit with them. Mm-hmm. Um, what am I thinking of? I'm thinking when I'm when you, oh, when you're near me, I have difficulty breathing. That's c- totally a ska song. And I would say, mm-hmm. even though it's like a slower, it's like a slower feel or a, a different feel, I think making plans for Nigel is kind of there's like some ska elements to it's it. It's got a little bounce to it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, are, are you familiar? Were you a fan of the band The Members? Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I don't think I had any members albums, but I remember seeing a members video. I remember I, I knew some of the members' songs. They had some reggae elements too. And they, they had a song or two with uh, the specials horn section on it too. Yeah, there's a, a bunch of that. Yeah. See, now I want to go back and listen to some <laughs> members. <laughs> I just, you know, 
in, 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 in that time period in the UK, I mean, everybody there was into ska and reggae. It was so like intertwined with punk rock. I just think that's what, that's all those bands. They were like, they were listening to like old reggae. They were listening to like the ska revival. They were just listening to all of it. So yeah, much, much more than that was happening here. And that's, I think that's probably why it was happening where it would, yeah, like you're saying, or Elvis Costello. I mean, he produced yeah, a specials yeah. record, but he also had a few ska songs. Right. Joe Jackson, like you said, had a few ska songs. Yeah. Joe Jackson uh, produced uh, early toasters. I don't know if you knew that. I had no idea. I didn't know I, he. I didn't know he produced anything. I think he produced Suzanne Vega, maybe. Oh, you know, you know what it was. He he was under contract, and um, he wasn't allowed to produce the toasters, so he oh, used God. a fake name. Can you believe those contracts? What were ridiculous. they thinking? <laughs> I want to go back in time and go. What? Why wouldn't you want your artist on someone else's album? It's advertisement. Like, yeah, your guy. What? What is that? It's such a strange. You know, all those like '60s bands who like couldn't, you know, be in the the, the credits and stuff is so strange. But yeah, anyway, thinking back to those bands. Uh, police and all that and and then like and and then of course it just all you know got bigger and bigger but yeah definitely two-tone when um my friends and i would go record shopping it was really fun to get those seven inches you know like because of the design i mean i'm i'm so into that design that i still love it i still want it on my wall Mm -hmm. you know the either the two-tone logo or the specials like all that stuff It, it it all I, I just like the aesthetics of it. Yeah. There was, um, I, I read an article where you were saying songs, some of your favorite songs. Um, and in this particular one, you, you mentioned fun boy three. Yeah. It ain't what you get. It ain't what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that was an interesting selection and, and, uh, I do definitely think, think fun, fun boy three, uh, in, in the U S doesn't really get a lot of, uh, attention, but, uh, they were a really interesting band. And one of the cool offshoots of the specials. Yeah, they were so great. And uh, I kind of liked it as an like, evolution from the specials. Like, I like it. It's almost like I, if Ska didn't... Well, I don't even know what the rules of Ska are. But to me, Fun Boy 3, it, you know, is an extension of it. Mm-hmm. So even if it doesn't sound like Ska, it's almost like, you know, as the Beatles got more psychedelic, you know, it's still the Beatles. <laughs> So uh, that's how I I thought of of Funboy Three that there's still it's an extension of it just in the same way that um I guess this is a little different but I liked uh where like you know uh Fine Young Cannibals went mm-hmm. you know just from you know even if it's not necessarily Sky just I like it, the, the you know how it's like related yeah 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 you you can see it makes sense. Yeah. General public too. Like, oh, I got to see general public. Oh yeah. Now I'm giving myself a pat on the back. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Fred, I'm so glad you did that. Cause now I'm, that I'm so glad that that's not a show that I was like, oh, I wish I had gone. Yeah. Cause living in New York, you just take it for granted. And you, I missed so many bands just out of, you know, the jam I didn't see. And I knew they were playing. I thought, oh, I'll, I'll see them eventually. But, um, General Public played at Radio City Music Hall, which is gigantic. 
but they had um, by th- by this time there was already uh, like a new wave station in New York. Um, it was WLIR and then WDRE. So they, you know, bands like that were getting like, a lot of play, and yeah, they they played it on Radio City Music Hall. It was great. I assume I assume you were too young to catch the the, the uh, two ton ska bands when they came through. Yeah, too young, or you know. Although, I mean, I should have known better. I should have made it more of an effort to see them open for the Go-Go's because I think they played with the Go-Go's at some, on some shows. Mm-hmm. What do you think of uh, uh, the Fun Boy 3's version of Our Lips Are Sealed? Oh, I love it. Isn't that great? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And it's also because, you know, the, Terry's a writer of it too. So it, it's like very legit to me. It's like kind of a cover, but also kind of an original. Yeah, because they, they co-wrote it. And it's about their... Yeah little romance that they had. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, so I mean, the Go-Go's version is great, but I love that there's like a sadness in uh, the fun boy threes version. It's like, a, it's like the, like the Go-Go's is like the fun version. And then fun boy threes is like the sad version. Yeah. I mean, Terry Hall, his, you know, you know, sad kind of um, version of, you know, being a singer, it really works for me. And I'm not usually into like, sadness as a um you know an, a musical emotion but like something ab- uh about the way he does it i don't know uh, it reminds me so much of england and um i was really you know how everyone gets sad about people who die you know in the, all the, everyone's favorite bands i i really was bummed out about that in a, a very uh surprising way yeah i think that one was that one was tough i think in part because he he didn't. He he kept his health secret, his health issues a secret. Yeah, yeah. So it was just out of nowhere to all all of us. And uh, but I, Horace, like he like later talked about the whole everything that was going on after Terry had passed, and it sounded like it was a tough couple of years for Terry before yeah. he ended up passing. It was really really sad Ugh. hearing the whole story. Oh, that's too bad. And the specials were um, they were going to make a new record. Uh, it was going to be um, like a reggae record, and um, what's his name, uh, Roger Rivas from the Agrolites was going to produce it. Oh man! But yeah, then he, they just couldn't do it because of Terry's health. Oof. Oh, what a drag! Did they record any anything? Uh, they... I don't think so. I think what I read is that they had got together and rehearsed and wrote, and then they had to take a break. And they then they were assuming that you know when Terry's feeling better, we'll get back to this project, and then. He didn't. Oh, man. Yeah, when he died, I, you know, like that realization that someone was like a, a bigger part of your life than you realized. That that's, I think that's what it was like. Like even going back to like hearing them on FM rock radio, that kind of thing, like you know, mm-hmm. being in sixth grade. Uh, that's a long time for someone to have been, you know, going from like my turntable to cassettes to like, cds and to my you know various versions of ipods and stuff like i was talking about to damon from trench mouth about it and he was like uh i've never not listened to the specials (laughs) you know they're always in rotation or if i have to dj something you just end up putting on ghost town or something you just it just ends up on there Mm -hmm. yeah it's weird because I'm a, I'm a little younger, so I got into ska and and punk and all that stuff in the in the early '90s, and so so I didn't get uh, specials came later through Discovery, 
But, you know, the second I discovered it, I fell in love with it. And it was, it was older music, but because the cover looked even older than it actually was, it seemed like really <laughs> old music to me. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I was on tour in a ska band before I even heard the specials. <laughs> what band were you in? I played in a band called Link 80. Oh, nice. Yeah. And how, how did it go? How was your experience? I mean, you know, it was punk rock band touring, sleeping on kids' floors and <laughs> spinning the van out on black ice and getting in fights. <laughs> Those fights are the dumbest fights ever. Yeah, they really are. Especially the internal ones within the band. That's what I mean. Like the internal ones are, it's so like, you know, you, you have this mindset that you're going to like take over the world. Yeah. Like we're going to, come on, are you in this army? <laughs> you know, are you, got to do this. And then just the, the, the teeniest things turn into like such gigantic fights. Oh yeah. You know driving styles i remember we got mad at wayne our bass player for passing an exit <laughs> like what's that's it's a mistake there's no reason to get mad at a person for missing an exit you know whatever we, you know just get on to the next one but that's the kind of thing that was like a devastating part of the day that wayne missed an exit so what yeah, I got left at a gas station once <laughs> for like four hours. That's what I mean. They thought I was asleep in the back of the van where like nobody could see me. I'd, I'd been driving all night and then I got out to use the bathroom and came back out to the gas pump and they just left. They thought I'd climbed underneath to go to sleep. And we didn't have cell phones or anything. It was all, you know, one guy in the van had a pager. And so I was trying to like page him. You must have been so mad. I was fine. They, they eventually got me. <laughs> Those were, um, I mean, we were touring, yeah, early 90s to like 1996 or something. Yeah. And we ended up on uh, a few bills with ska bands or, or, you know, I can't even remember. Like, or I also ended up at different ska shows and stuff. Um, you might have missed uh, Fishbone, right? Like we didn't play with Fishbone, but like that was another band that we really got into. Oh, yeah. And I, I saw, no, Fishbone, I actually got into Fishbone before I was aware of ska and before i understood that some of their songs were ska yeah they held the torch for a while i would say yeah like the, yeah. like before all the 90s bands i feel like fishbone was kind of like you know singularly hanging on to playing ska and then I, they did that Lollapalooza run and i just remember kids at my high school just like asking them like how was Lollapalooza?" and they're like there's this band fishbone and the lead singer just <laughs> naked and he's just screaming fuck racism <laughs> uh they were they are oh, they are great they they still play and stuff yeah yeah and i i just you know not that you asked me how i feel about 90s ska but i was always so happy about it like that was like a real feeling of like oh i'm so glad that this tradition is is you know keeping on going and that i remember like seeing no doubt on david letterman and thinking oh that's that is what i want you know, bands to be like on David Letterman that, that, you know, that they're yeah. playing. So we, um, we interviewed, uh, John Bunkley from gangster fun. Oh yeah. And he said that, yeah, you guys played together, trench mouth and gangster fun. Yep. In Ann Arbor. Yeah. Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yeah. Uh, I think they're D Detroit, but yeah. Um, but, uh, but I think we played with them in Ann Arbor. I think okay. that was the first time. I'd, I mean, imagine this turns into a debate. 
<laughs> Let me pull that's out not, my that's notes. not what I said, but that yeah, I know, but that but I saw him in Ann Arbor. <laughs> Is he still in Detroit? Yeah, he said he said that you used to crash at his house too. I don't know yeah. if you you remember that? Yeah, he, they were um man, they were just like a it's almost like one of our earliest sort of uh uh band friends. Like the the concept of someone from out of town because we were in Chicago, so it was like one of one of the first sort of like, whoa, we're not in Illinois, <laughs> and um, yeah, they were great. I really love Gangster Fun. Anyway, I interrupted you. Oh, I was just going to ask if uh, what you thought of Gangster Fun. They made us feel, um, you know, venturing out from out of town is like, uh, you know, it's like uh, you're you're like exploring and feeling out what the rest of the country is like. So it's it's like. Not scary, but it's a little bit like, geez, what's out there? Mm-hmm. And Gangster Fun made us feel like, oh, there's great stuff out there. There's, <laughs> you know, there are bands trying to do the same kind of thing. So I'm glad we got to play with them. How extensively did uh, Trenchmouth tour? A lot. Yeah. Oh my God, we toured so much. It was like an obsession. Mm-hmm. Um. So. I just wanted those tours to be longer and longer. It was it like, <laughs> it's really weird because all it was, was about was like, let's get out there. Let's see where we can go. How far can we go? Sure. And we played all over the country and Canada and uh, yeah, we would just make it our business to like, you know, get our, our van together and merch and just to try to get on as many shows as we could. And um even though it was hard, I really loved it. So it was like the only thing you cared about at that point? Oh, oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like it. It was the main thing. It was, I lived for it. They lived for it. And even when it was terrible, we had each other. We would laugh, you know, or we'd go to, you know, even when we were in places that seemed, uh, you know, desolate and weird. It was still awesome. And yeah. now, I, I, now I think a little bit more like, I, when else would I have had the opportunity to visit all these towns? And I do feel like in the '90s, I really got to know this country. Mm-hmm. And what a great thing! Yeah, it's the best way to travel. I, I think so too. What's well, the longest tour that Trenchmouth did? I don't think we would ever go more than like a month. Okay. You know, like we'd, to us, it seemed like a long time, but then, you know, we'd go out again for another week or another couple of weeks or something. You know, we all had jobs. So there was like, yeah, that to deal with. Cause it's, we didn't, we made enough to stay on the road, Mm -hmm. but then we'd have to come back and work our jobs to pay our rent. And then, then we'd go out again, you know, and, you know, a, a band like I don't know Jawbox or Nation of Ulysses would invite us to go play a couple weeks, and we'd go do that. And yeah, God, I loved it though. It was <laughs> it was just such crazy, uh, like the need to go and play somewhere. It just did not matter mm-hmm. what the venue was or anything. We're just like, sounds great, we'll do it. It's seventy five bucks. Okay, <laughs> you know, what's the weirdest venue you played? Uh. We played in Berlin, in what used to be East Berlin. Even then, it was used to be. It was like already West Berlin, uh, West Germany. Yeah, not West Germany. It was the, Western. I. What, what do I call that? The wall came down. 
Uh, but it was like East Berlin, but you know, not East Berlin anymore. We played at a um, a squat. Mm-hmm. The whole building they took over, and it was uh, lit and heated by kerosene. Oh wow! So you know, torches. You know, like there were torches on the wall, and uh, so everything smelled like kerosene. And that felt weird. That felt weird that it was like <laughs> camping, but in the middle of a city. Yeah, it's like apocalyptic. Yeah. So I would say that was pretty weird. Did you guys sleep in the squat too? I think we slept in a different squat. Okay. Something horrible. <laughs> like, uh, and by the way, uh, no, I mean it. It was horrible. Because like, <laughs> because it's one thing to like sleep at, you know, a band's house or whatever. Yeah. But but squats, I think there's like a, a toilet situation that isn't as like. Oh, yeah. Like, like, oh, this is fine. It was like, I remember thinking, this is not fine. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know if it was cold, but like, I think the bathroom part wasn't fun. And just as you were asking me this, I was, cause I'm trying to like clear my head and not just, you know, remember all the things I usually remember. Mm-hmm. But somewhere in Arizona or New Mexico, I, I remember like we would sometimes play, or oh, Amarillo, Texas, El Paso. Oh, we would play like people's backyards. Mm-hmm. So there were some backyard shows that were really great. But by weird, I mean, I'm like, I think it was somebody's house, but it felt like a real gig. Like yeah. real, real meaning like there was a, there were a lot of people and there were like, there was like a sound system. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was weird in a good way of like, oh, that's, this is, that's totally enjoyable. One of, one of the times that I slept in a squat, I woke up in the morning. You know, we went in there and it was pitch black when we went in to go to lay down. And we'd also been told, oh, don't worry about bringing sleeping bags or anything because, you know, we got we got you covered. And so there was like just stuff all over the floor. And so I just like pulled a blanket over myself and like went to sleep. Where was it? It was somewhere in Europe. I can't even remember now. See, it's Europe, huh? It was It was France, I think. And then I woke up in the morning and the whole room was was wallpapered with pages from the Bible (laughs) and the whole room was just full of trash. And the blanket I was sleeping under was like covered in like, it was like crusted with like blood. Oh, geez. (laughs) And we all got like super bad lung infections and we're like throwing up afterwards. It's great. You know, it's so weird that you described it as dark because I remember that that was the problem. I think there's no lights. I think there was no lights and we, we had to accept it. Like, okay, it's dark. But in the morning, it'll be fine. And I, yeah. you know, I, I've really blocked a lot of it out, but it was really like, <laughs> uh, same kind of thing, like in the dark. And I, you know, my, our, everything smelled like kerosene. Yeah. Uh, but I, we didn't get to, I don't think we stayed in any squats in, in the States. Yeah. There's less of that here, only in like New York. And that's it. Right. You know, like, I think a lot of bands go through this, but, or are like this. Or maybe I'm wrong, but you know we're like suburban guys. So mm-hmm. when we played in either DC or Long Island or, or or New York, we would just go to my parents' house or Damon's parents' house or whatever. Yeah, you know we always had that sort of fallback um, to take up like a proper shower. I remember mm-hmm. we played in New Orleans once, and the place we stayed at was just like too hot. Somebody's house, maybe it was the guy from Blue Meanies. Uh, but it was too hot, so we're like, I gotta go sleep in the van. And it was so it it was scary sleeping in the van because there were so many drunks. You could yeah. hear them, and someone woke us up like pounding on the 
on the side of the van, me and Damon. Just a lunatic, you know, pounding on the side of the van. <laughs> yeah, we stayed we stayed in a Christiania in a Denmark and slept on like park benches and some drunk guy just wandered into like our little campsite that we'd set up and just sat down on one of the benches and just was like hollering. And I just remember <laughs> sitting up and looking at him for a second. I just laid back down, went to sleep. Why why did you stay on park benches though? There was nowhere else to see. It was like, that was what was behind the stage. And we're just like, well, this is where we're sleeping tonight. God. Just like put out our sleeping bags and slept. Wow. I know we d- I did that. I, I didn't tour as extensively as, as both you guys, but um, I did a few tours with my band. And yeah, one time we just, I don't know why. We're just like, let's just stay at this park. <laughs> and we just stayed at the park. And then we played the show and we told the people where we stayed. They're like, wow, that's a really dangerous park. And we're yeah. like, oh, okay. I mean, almost any park. Yeah, actually. right. You just kind of, you kind of just don't want to fall asleep. I guess it's the the mind of nineteen year old. We're just like, all right, sleep at a park. I don't know though. Like the first time I was gonna go play fest, like a couple of years ago, like I was like, I don't, I wanted to save money, and I was like, maybe I'll just sleep in the park. And our drummer was like, please don't sleep in the park. <laughs> <laughs> I am on your drummer's side. Yeah, me too. Now, like we the last tour we did, we stayed in like actual hotels. And I was like, oh, this is so cush. That's the way to go. Yeah. You got to treat yourself a little good, you know, a little well. Yeah. You, you got to give yourself some creature comforts once you're not yeah. in your like teens and 20s. And, and what's your instrument that you play? Right now, I'm just the vocalist in my band, but I play guitar. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I get That's to just great. run around and scream. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> and what are the crowds like? They're great. Crowds have been awesome lately. I feel like... I don't know. Maybe it's just the scene that I'm a part of because I still see some like pretty gnarly punk shows happening in the Bay Area, yeah. and, like weirdo outsider spaces. But our shows have been great. I mean, the Gilman scene seems so much more chill than it was in the '90s. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just I remember going to shows in the '90s and feeling like, okay, a fight's gonna break out like any second. Yeah, yeah. And I don't have that vibe anymore. Like, I brought my kids to the show I went to last night, and they're like nine and eleven. And are they, are they like enjoying the, uh, do they enjoy it or are they like, what is it? Yeah. They're having, I mean, my, my 11 year old's more into like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, but my nine year old's all, all in on punk and ska. Oh, he, uh, he brought his uh, son on uh, stage like a few months ago. Yeah. We do like a hardcore punk song and he's like, dad, I want to, I want to do it with you. Oh, so that's he got so up on great. stage and had the mic and was screaming. That's and so the, cool. the big, the big thing is that he gets to say fuck. <laughs> yeah. That was the thing too. I was like, do you want to swear on stage right now? And he's like, yeah, I was yes. like, go ahead. That's a, kid, that's a kid's dream dude it was amazing god remember like when you're a kid and you discover swearing with your friends oh and i was so scared because i was afraid i was gonna slip in for my parents it was like it's like really discovering it's like so powerful like you yeah. discover this word and you got just you just laugh with your friends at the existence of the word just yeah. the, just saying it <laughs> i was i was i'm still afraid to swear in front of my parents but uh, my little brother son, who's 10 years younger than me ever since he was a little kid he's just been just to my parents constantly swearing wow. really and they're just like i don't like it whatever I, I don't yeah like i don't it. i don't like it either it feels um, weird in yeah. front of my parents uh, so okay i got it let's see do you do you remember playing that this is back to trench mounts do you remember playing at the vic uh, opening for skank and pickle yep all right. What do, you, what do you remember about the show? I remember Skanking Pip- Pickle were huge. Like I remember yeah. them on stage, and I just remember the crowd, because like that's a pre- pretty big place. 
I remember uh, just my memory of it is that they were huge. And it was fun. They were great. They were really uh, energetic. I remember their merch. And uh, yeah, God, they were fun. And the crowd was going nuts. They were going crazy. Mm-hmm. Who else played on it, though? I feel like there were other ska bands on that bill. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, for sure. Could have been. We'll have to, we'll have to do some research. My park will clue us in for sure. So Fire, Fireside Bull. I heard that um, you, Trenchmouth played Fireside kind of early before it was sort of a regular venue. Do you remember playing Fireside? Like, I think, want to say like 93, maybe? Mm, it, well, yes, but it was always a... Uh, a music venue like we never played without like a little stage and a pa there i remember brian was doing shows yeah i heard i heard you played pre-brian like where it was because brian was doing stuff i think in 94 on but maybe maybe i maybe my information's wrong that's just what i heard i think he was also doing he used to do shows out in the suburbs i think that's how we got to know him but uh wow i don't remember I all I remember is that um it was definitely like there was stuff going on. Maybe not it, it wasn't as big or it wasn't as much of a thing, but um it was it was it wasn't a case of let's set up equipment while people are bowling or anything like that. No, yeah, no. But boy, those were great fun shows. Man, what a great venue. The best, right? So good. <laughs> so many good shows there and like crazy. then you see if you go on youtube and just watch videos of those shows they're insane oh i did, was not aware oh yeah yeah on youtube if you just if you just type in fireside it'll pull up like a ton of videos oh i don't remember anyone shooting that's so funny yeah there's there's just like rando video of, of these shows like there's oh, a really man. good like early afi one on there what yeah good stuff wow when I played, I used, to, I used to have like gross dreadlocks, gross white boy dreadlocks. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was trimming them outside of the fireside once. And I took like a specifically like really gnarly chunk and uh-huh. I duct taped it up above like where the drummer's head would be uh-huh. on the, on the back of the wall of the fireside. And so like, <laughs> I would look for it in pictures of other bands. You just left it. So I heard a rumor. This is a fireside rumor. See if you have any intel on this. Mm-hmm. What I've been told is that the first show at Fireside was Cap and Jazz in 1992. You know, I am gonna just from the f- without any research or without even thinking about it, that feels true. Mm-hmm. All right, like just from like the bands who were playing around then and like where they were playing and stuff, that something about that rings true. So right. I'm going to vote. I'm just, you know, not coming from fact, but yeah, coming from voting. Uh, in my vote is I bet that's, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I will say, you know, to back up my vote, I was around and, you know, in, in, you know, friends with, you know, all the, all those bands. And there was just certain venues that were where things were happening. And I, that, that makes sense to me. Do you remember the bartender at Fireside? I don't. His name was Hammer. Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no offense to Hammer if you're out there, Hammer. I was I was just loading in my stuff and loading out. Yeah. And, and you know, nervous about pl- the sh- playing the show. 
So yeah. what was your, you mentioned the blue meanies before. Uh, did you ever play with blue meanies? Yeah. A couple of times. Um, I think maybe in some of those suburban Chicago shows, mm-hmm. um, but someone else might be able to tell me like, Oh, you know, no, it was this other thing in Chicago or, but yeah, we, we played with them. I, I think a couple of times. Yeah. They're really nice. I remember, uh, we stayed friendly with them and I feel, did I somewhere that they're doing more shows or something? Yeah. They're doing a reunion show with kind of the, uh, version 1.0 of the band. So like the early, yeah, it's, a, it's a one-off. Yeah. In July. Wow. Great. Where, where do they live? They live all over, but they're doing a, a Chicago show because that's the home for the yeah. band. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's interesting. Cause yeah, yeah, the singer Billy, he did move to new Orleans for like a year or two. So and that's, ah. you, you think maybe you did stay at his house. Yes. And we stayed at his house, but I don't think we were playing with them. I think it was just that he came to the show. Yeah. I think they were like sort of broken up when he was down in new Orleans Yeah, for like right. a little period of time. Yeah. Yeah, it was sweltering hot. But it was not, no disrespect to his place. It, New Orleans was just generally hot. It was just like oh, yeah. so sweltering. And I just could not get comfortable. It was just too hot. Were you, what about Slapstick? Do you remember that band? Oh, I remember. I do. I can't remember where we would have played with them, though. Because they were, they were really big on the, you're talking about those um, suburban shows? Yeah. Um, in Elgin and whatnot. That's that Brian it, Elgin. Putting on. Yeah. Elgin, yes. They were kind of like the star of that that suburban sort of scene pre Fireside, yeah. Oh, I'm I'm guessing we must have played with them at some point. Mm-hmm. Um and apologies for not, you know, sometimes a lot of those gigs were like many bands were on the bill. Yo, for sure. And um you know, we'd rush out and set up and play and you know, it's pretty chaotic. How many bands is the right amount of bands for a show? <laughs> it the answer changes as we get older it does <laughs> so like now you know and i've th- this happens more frequently like sometimes i'll go to a show and it's just the one band mm-hmm. and we're all grateful we're like oh yeah. that's all um that said though i mean i've had some great experiences seeing uh multiple bands i kind of feel like two is ideal mm-hmm. three pushes it a little but i've seen some good three band bills so what do you think? A threes, threes like the sweet spot. I feel yeah. like four is really pushing it, and those bands all better be good, and their changeovers better be quick. Yeah, anything above that is punishing. Like all the band, the other thing too is bands just need to get more used to just sharing backline. Like just use the same kit. Come on, couldn't agree more. And th- that should have been happening years ago. Oh, one hundred percent. How dumb is it when like four, like six hardcore bands are on a show and they all put six eight ten cabinets and like stack them on the stage and the <laughs> and the drum kit? I'm like, and it's the same kit. Everybody's I'm got like, the same that's kit. That's the same kit. Come on. How about how about kick drum rack tom floor tom? And you guys can switch out everything else so you have yep. your personality. I'm like, you know, everybody's got their breakable. Yes, you guys all. We, they're all tuned kind of the same way. Tune it up if you need to, but that takes up so much time. And yeah, four bands is like, now what are you doing? You know, yeah. there's, there is an audience here. And you, it kind of also, um, I think also deadens your hearing. Like mm-hmm. by, the, by the third band, you're sort of, I don't know, it's like less of a surprise to hear instruments. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I got, I went to a show at Gilman just on, 
a whim the other night and there were four bands yeah. and the fourth band was just not good. Yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> I, I had gone like, I was like, I'm going to be supportive and go kind of stand near the stage. And I turned around and the venue was empty. I was the only <laughs> person watching them. And I was like, I'm now stuck watching this whole band. I look like an asshole. Oh yeah. It's like hurtful to leave. And here's the, and here's the thing, Fred, these were, these guys were all like dudes in their like fifties. And literally I felt like they were doing your skit from SNL. The one where you guys are playing at the wedding. Yeah. Like every one of their songs sounded like fist fight in the parking lot. Uh, and then, and this is the band he said weren't, there was nobody. They there. were playing to no one. Yeah. <laughs> and they were just like, this next song's about how the cops are dumb. Yeah. And I, I was mean, like, oh shit, come on, man. And you know, I, again, I don't want to say anything insulting to those bands. Great. I'm glad you're playing. I just feel like if you're, in your, I, I don't want to put them down. I, I'll just say, this is just my opinion as far as like playing. When you're in your 20s, you're just like, I got to get out there and, you know, keep playing, keep playing, even if there's nobody there. Yeah. But me being in my 50s, I'm like, well, if there's nobody there, shorten the set. Yeah, for sure. For every room. Just for everybody. It's okay. You know, it's, it's, you know, you're a great band, but just cut five songs from the set. Everyone's going to be okay. Yeah. Is all I'm saying. That's the right take right there, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious about your drumming influences. So it was your first band, the KGB? And the- yes. Like a, a hardcore, not like, it was like, it was a hardcore band. Yeah. Uh, and we were a trio and I think back then some of the other, other band members wanted me to have timbales. I, I probably didn't know where to find them or anything, but um, I remember they liked timbales because of bands like Pig Bag and I think Liquid Liquid and Bow Wow Wow. So Bow Wow Wow was like the first like, uh, wow, who, who, you know, what's this drummer doing? Cause he had timbales instead of rack toms and I kind of leaned into that. And then I kind of, when I finally found some timbales, uh, I always kept them on my kit. I just love the sound of them. So even, so that followed through with trench mouth and stuff where I would have like one timbale in front of me as opposed to a rack tom. Oh, wow. Not even just off to the side of the snare. No, I liked it as like a main thing. Okay. Um, so uh, I always liked Alan Myers from Devo. Um, Dave Barbarossa from Bow Wow Wow, Topper Hedden from The Clash. Um, those are like, you know, and Clem Burke from, my favorite drummer is Clem Burke from Blondie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just, you know, will always be my favorite. So I was really inspired and influenced by him. Um, and then, you know, a million other drummers. But those were like the first. But then as, you know, as we kept going, or as I kept going in my life, uh, George Hurley. And uh, I mean, it's, yeah, there's just a, a million great, great drummers. Yeah. I mean, uh, Trenchmouth is a very eclectic band. Like we talked about this before. There's definitely some dub and reggae and some ska elements in the music. Mm-hmm. What was the influence pool within the band? Did you guys all listen to like a ton of music? Did you guys, were you guys, was there certain stuff that you shared that was, sort of the nucleus of what you were going for? Oh yeah, we t- that's a that's like all we talked about. That our whole lives are talking about music, listening, you know, we'd listen to music together in the van. 
this is like right when Fugazi broke. So really, they were like the ultimate. We wanted mm-hmm. to be like Fugazi. Um, and then all the other Discord bands we kind of were friends with. Damon is originally from DC. So somewhere in there, we really just wanted to be like them. Or, um, you know, The Clash or Gang of Four, The Specials. Um, and all the dub influences, that was definitely um, Wayne and Damon, meaning I knew nothing about it. I had no idea what it was, but they Damon would make these mixtapes of like Augustus Pablo and um, Lee Scratch Perry, and I had never heard it. And driving, you know, throughout the all over the Midwest or whatever, when it's dark out and listening to that music, it made the rides so much nicer. And my mind would just drift listening to this music. So um, that's where that came from. Interesting, yeah. Who else? We wanted to be like the the Axe and Dogfaced Hermans, this that Dutch band. And um, that's kind of like where No Means No, I remember, we wanted to be like. Uh, but somewhere in there. And, and some Latin music. I used to really like Tito Puente. Um, I remember also always liking Sheila E. Yeah. She's a great drummer. Yeah. She's fantastic. And yeah. also like really unlike anybody, you know, the, because her like standing up and playing the timbales is a very rare thing, like a rare kind of performer. So, yeah. And then, you know, as time went, obviously like Sleater Kinney and um, just, yeah, like, you know, Tortoise. I remember Tortoise was a big influence for us. They were, you know, we were around at the same time, but that was like they opened our, you know, our minds. Oh, I remember we used to love Stereo Lab. Oh my mm-hmm. God, we used to love Stereo Lab. I, I saw Tortoise at Santa Cruz um, after that. I think after that um, double record, the one that was really blowing up came out. Yeah. And, um, I had like listened to it for a while, so I was pretty familiar with their music, but I had no idea what they looked like or anything about them visually. And yeah. um, it was kind of like, I was a little, like the way they set up on stage, it was like they overtook the stage. It wasn't like a band. It was like, or this is how I remember it anyways. It was like, here's a whole bunch of instruments and a whole bunch of guys, and we're just going to like figure out what to do with all this stuff and make music. And it was like such a weird experience, but it was awesome. To me, they, they really seemed very Chicago too. Like that's a very, I think there's like a tradition of musician in Chicago. That's, I don't know how to describe it, but tortoise really matched it. They seemed Mm -hmm. like very much like people who had lofts and recording equipment in their lofts. Yeah. You know, as opposed to a place like New York where you can't really afford to have that much space. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're great. It's interesting that you brought up Devo as a drumming influence because I love Devo and I really love the their first the first few records before they went electronic. I mean, I like the electronic stuff too, but in terms of the rhythm section, yeah, really interesting. And it's very like kind of robotic in this really cool way. Yeah, like like Duty Now for the Future. I just I could just listen to that record and listen to what the instruments are doing. And it's so cool. Like it's you don't really hear people mention that as a drumming influence very often, but it's really amazing. I mean, Duty Now for the Future, I think, is just one of the great 
drumming albums of all time, the, mm-hmm. the way they're recorded and like the way I, I kind of learned from listening to Devo just as one of the first, you know, records that I had. And it, none of it is like fills like, Oh, I'm jamming along to a song. What a crazy fill. Oh, I went, you know, he, he went, now he's going nuts in this one song. It's all um patterns. They're all drum patterns that are super busy, super Tom heavy. Uh, and they're part of the beat. So that's, that was, it's almost like I expected the rest of drumming to go on that way, you know, forever. Mm-hmm. Like that's the way it was going to be. But um, those patterns are really, um, I like that they're repetitive and busy. Yeah. Yeah. Drumming is an instrument, you know, and, and it add it can add to the, the melodic experience if it's approached that way. Yeah. And he approached it for sure. And like you mentioned Sleater Kinney, um, Janet, Janet wise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Her drumming. I saw her play at a festival in LA once and, um, with, uh, you know, Sleater Kinney and like blew my mind. The way she approached the drums and the way she accented the music was just Ah, so amazing it has some similarities to devo in that yeah exactly her she would do these beats where the those the toms were sort of part of the beat Mm -hmm. and i don't mean just like writing on the floor tom i mean like you know off beats on the rack tom and stuff that kind of thing that just kind of is also repetitive that i really love yeah janet's just great you know i um i interviewed her once for like a newspaper article and I would say it's probably probably the most nervous I've ever been for an interview, <laughs> uh-huh. just because I was such a fan. Yeah, and I was like, "Do did you like Quasi too?" Yeah, oh yeah, love Quasi. That, that album, uh, Birds featuring Birds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. It's like one of my favorite records. And I just Beautiful. like after the interview, I was like, "I got to tell you how much I love um, <laughs> featuring Birds." And I, I like, I'm like, "Why?" Am, yeah. In my mind, I'm like, "Why am I doing this right now?" And no, she's like, oh, I, it's very nice of you. <laughs> I <laughs> know it's great, and yeah, and they're great singers too. Yeah, the Cosi are great. Here's another one. Uh, one time online, someone was like, "Does Fred Armisen like ska?" And then like this other person was like, "Oh yeah, he, I talked to him once. He said he likes uh, Let's Go Bowling." Oh yeah, that's. But I think my did, I don't think we ever. I don't think we ever played with Let's Go Bowling. But I feel like I saw them somewhere. I can't remember when. But I've seen Let's Go Bowling. I feel like at some, like, maybe a festival or something. But I, I feel like I've ended up watching uh, a lot of ska bands, like, at a festival. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that sort of pop up. But, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I, I, would, I would say, like, a, a huge fan of ska. And, th- and then the more I learn about it, because, you know, I, I learned about it late. But, um Whenever I hear about like the '60s version of Scott, you know, it's even that's even more exciting to hear like where it all came from and everything. Yeah, definitely. You know, you ever get one of those Trojan Records box sets? Yeah, I got a bunch of those. And who? Else? There's an other. I got one. I got some that were like, I got some box sets that were 10 inch records mm-hmm. that were really cool. But there are some other labels that were putting out stuff. I think I think like a British label was putting out a bunch of like I'm kind of like a sucker for those um compilations just cuz I feel like I missed out so much so like I'll just buy you know as soon as I see that it's like whatever like Jamaican music or or even if it's like a British ska I'll just I I just 
any event I'll take. I love it. I read this interview with, uh, it was with Wayne about a trench mouth. This was, I think in the two thousands. So it was after the band had already, you know, broken up. And, uh, he said he felt like one of the problems the band faced was that even though the band basically came from punk, that didn't feel like punks really appreciated it. Mm. What was your take on that? Uh, I don't know. It's hard to like think about like appreciation and stuff. Like, I just feel like we had such a great time, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, and weirdly I can, you know, whenever I, if I think of something in, in my life that like, uh, you know, wasn't as I imagined, uh, I can only blame myself. So, you know, did I do, I feel like maybe uh, drumming wise, I was so out to prove that I was fast. Yeah. You know, a fast, busy drummer that, uh, I don't know, when I look back, I'm like, oh, maybe I should have like slowed down a little, (laughs) you know, laid down a little more of a groove. but who knows? I mean, uh, but I feel like th- listening to those trench mouth recordings, like I feel like the rest of the band is kind of on that same wavelength too. Like everybody's going hard. Nobody's <laughs> oh, like really yeah. trying to like service the song. Everybody's trying to like service their like that f- feeling of it needs to be frenetic. Yeah, I mean, it could be us being in our twenties or something. Totally. Um, and yeah, who knows? I mean, I feel like. We played some really busy shows. You know, there's there were people there, and they were very appreciative and and loving, and you know, buying merch and writing fan letters and stuff. So, um, I I can't for some reason I I, I can't really look back and think. Uh, I just I I just remember like how kind people were. You know. Like we'd play yeah. like Minneapolis and God, people were just so nice and into it and dancing around. We used to like, um, for some reason, we would play these shows in Sioux City, Iowa. And it, it was like this hot spot for like trench mouth. I don't know what it was, but like we'd show up there and it was really like the crowds were great always. We played some really fun shows. But I don't know. I loved it. I loved, even though like I kept playing so fast and so busy, at least I got to drum a lot. So when I look back (laughs) at my 20s, I do appreciate the fact that I played so much drums. I'm like, man, I really, you know, got into those, you know, those piccolo snare drums. I really, and and (laughs) timbales and stuff. Like, I'm glad. I'm glad I did. I'm glad I drummed so much. Those piccolo snare drums really were something, though. They really were. Cut right through everything else. <laughs> they really, really did. <laughs> like, why have cymbals? Yeah, right? Just have a bunch of differently tuned piccolos. Yeah, it's like so metallic sounding, you know, but uh, it did cut through. And and uh, yeah, God, it was fun. And, and I love playing with Wayne. I mean, he's just such a great bass player. And... I you know I saw him recently. I saw his uh uh he had has a new band and um it that was really fun. I saw Damon recently. I was in Chicago for this um uh this band called White Mystery celebrated their 15th anniversary in 
uh, I got to hang out with uh, got to hang out with Damon and Wayne. You don't know Azita, do you? Azita oh. Yusefi. She's um, no. she's an artist. She's on Drag City, and uh, got to see her. I don't know. Chicago is just such a great place for music. Yeah, definitely, you know, and, and venues and stuff. But um, I'll I don't know. I'll always feel like I got to see a lot of the world and, and the country. Not a lot of the world, but a lot of this country. And and I don't know. Fans were really nice. And once in a while, I'll bump into someone who will say something. Who will you know, be like, I was at this show or that show. And, you know, I've always got, I've got good memories of it. And then I've got, the memory, the ones I don't enjoy is like of how the drum cases I had were hard shell. Mm-hmm. And it was the dumbest thing. It was the dumbest like idea that <laughs> because hard shell is for like if you have to stack other equipment on top of it. Yeah. And we didn't stack we didn't have enough equipment. It was just I was em- emulating or imitating, you know, rock stars. I was like, well, they all have big, you know, cases with their names spray painted on it. And now looking back, I wish I had just gig bags for them. Sure. Yeah, especially if you're not stacking stuff on them. Well, once I started touring, my drum set went from a normal drum set to it's like a bass drum, tom, no rack toms, a hi-hat, and then a ride cymbal that I would also use as a crash cymbal. That's all you need. That's all. Yeah. And then w- towards the end, weren't you also just stacking them all inside the bass drum? Yep. Yeah. No, no head on the, on the <laughs> bass drum. Aaron hates carrying gear. It's the worst. <laughs> and yeah. it's kind of unnecessary. Like multiple cymbals. I don't know. We didn't need them. Yeah. I, I, I like, what was that about? Like, I mean, eventually, like you said, I whittled it down to just ride and crash, but come on, China symbol, this and that. It's not worth <laughs> You need a China symbol and a splash, of course, when you're playing a fireside yeah. bowl. Yeah. Counting off a breakdown, though, on a crash symbol is great, though. Or I mean, on a China. Just like that, like before a breakdown, just that like four count just on the China. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and here comes the halftime break. Yeah. I saw you play uh, at the New Parish and you were doing a bit. And I think one of the bits was because uh, you had the drums there. And I think you did a bit about how all the ska songs start with the same fill. Oh, did I? I think you did. You definitely did a bunch of ska jokes and I was like there for it. It was also it was also right before everything shut down again and we were all wearing masks and you got on stage and asked if it was okay to take off your mask. Wow. You were like, I think am, am I wrong, but is everything about to shut down again? And I was about to go on tour and I was like, fuck, you're right. And the tour got got postponed. It was this, was this this was in San Francisco, right? No, this was New Parish in Oakland and you were talking about the Moxie. <gasps> that was that was one of the last that was the last show before the, the pandemic. Yeah. Because that was with Def Rain. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was, that was pretty intense. So sorry. I threw, I threw a lot at you at once, but do you remember any of those <laughs> ska bits that you did? No, but I'm remembering it. Yes. That was um, uh, – there's one reggae thing that I used to do where um, I would talk about bands who had uh, like one reggae song. And so they would like reggae it up too much, <laughs> you know, like with all kinds of off beats and little syncopated things where I'm like, yeah, we get it. It's reggae. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna do the slow down triplet. 
I love hearing you do drum speak, by the way. Dukum flakum. I got some questions about Spike, your bike messenger character that yes. sold bootleg Bart Scamson shirts. Yeah. Okay, so I think most people have probably seen that skit. Um, was there um, the way Spike looked? his style and then selling bootleg ska shirts was what was the thought process there? I don't think he's like a pure ska guy. Okay. I think he's into ska, but like not, you know, he's not cause he's, you know, he doesn't dress like a ska guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's got the circle airing things. He's got sort of the beatnik goatee. Right. So he's like less of that. He's more like whatever, like general nineties alternative was. Mm-hmm. Like he equally would have been, you know, good with anyone at Lollapalooza or the side stage of Lollapalooza, perfectly at home there. But that would also include like Fishbone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's like that guy, and uh, Bart Stampson. <laughs> um, that just came up in the writers' room. We were trying to think of something that would be physical. That, you know, so that Bart looks like he's doing like a dance or something. And that's the only thing that kind of could fit. Because there's no such thing as like a Bart grunge son or something. <laughs> yeah. So Ska like seemed like, at least it's, you know, a visual physical thing. Yeah. So you had Matt Groening come on and, and uh, you know, file a lawsuit or whatever as that yeah, was part yeah. of the skit. This was in 2015. Yeah. 2016. Simpsons had Mighty Mighty Boston's cameo on a show. Nice. So I'm just wondering if the, if the roots of that decision happened when he came on your show. Um, What's your vote? I think my vote would be no, because I think, because Mighty Mighty Boston's were already kind of big, or have been big for a while. Mm-hmm. So um, I feel like their the Simpsons tradition of of um like bands being on the show has gone back a long way, and sure. I just feel like that made sense for that whatever episode that was. Okay. So b- b- believe me, I would if I if I if if I could say yes, I would do it. You know, proudly. <laughs> but I my my for this one, my gut is like no, that was like probably either in the works or like yeah. you know, it just. That that seems more coincidental. Yeah, to be fair, it was a Boston episode. And I mean, I'm, of course, you're going to have Mighty Mighty Boston. Right. Yeah. yeah. Boston. Yeah. And I also don't know that like Matt Greening is, that, is as involved with like who the guests are going to be. I'm sure he's part of it, but like that, that's like a whole, you know, there's a group of writers and I'm sure the, the Boston part makes more sense. That I can see. So a couple of years after that skit, uh, IFC, this is, I think, a promotion for Documentary Now. They posted this um, to social media, this spike, sound of ska. <laughs> ska was this world until it was over. Uh-huh. <laughs> was, what was it? Was it Spike doing the, like, his version of ska? Like, what it sounds like? Let me, let me, like, I think I have it on my desktop. It's just, like, him, like, making a face. Let me let me see. I got it right here. Um, yeah, he's like ah, like you know, <laughs> the spike face. So it's made to look like this dramatic uh, 
documentary. Wow. So were you not part of that? <laughs> they just take a picture and did it. Over. Yeah, they just that's the the marketing department or whatever. All right. Well, which is fine, you know, fine with me. They they you know, that that's stuff that they have to do to kind of like keep it, you know, putting it like in a different framing or something. <laughs> yeah. You just got to trust them to do what's going to be best for it. Yeah, like I remember me and Carrie, there is like we'd go through like emails where we had to approve stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes that would go by so quickly. We would just catch whatever didn't work. Yeah. So we'd go like, no, 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 you know, or this is fine, this is fine. But when, if something popped out, like, no, 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 not, not that. Okay, let's talk about your Saturday Night Live skit, the Pippa Visits the Queen. Oh, yeah. I think it came after the Elton John one. Yes. Where you and Bill Hader play a punk song. Yeah. And then the, the second one, you guys play a ska song. And K- Katy Perry's part of that scene. Yeah, yeah. Same thing. Same like, you know, tribute. If if the Elton John one, well, the Elton John one, I was like, oh, there's got to be a way for, to get Elton John to sing a punk song. And he did it great. <laughs> but I think he's a fan anyway of punk, you know, as I was talking to him, uh, you know, talking about different bands and stuff. And I think he's also, I think he's played on an OMD song early on. Mm. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, so for that next time, I was just thinking, well, what else could we do that would be like a fun, uh, you know, the genre. That's very British. Yeah, you did it. That that was the interesting thing about it because it was a very British version of ska. Yeah, that's that's where yeah that's where we were going with it. And Katy Perry, uh, she throws in a few pick it ups. Yeah, she yeah, seems yeah. like she knows how to <laughs> s- do a little skanking. So yeah, yeah. I'm always surprised, or I shouldn't be, about how you know familiar everybody is with with ska and with punk. You know, it's like people. Yeah, they really. You know, it doesn't seem to be any explaining that we've ever had to do. Nardwar did an interview with her and uh, he, he found out and he, you know, he brought up that her first show she ever went to as a teenager was the mad caddies at a chain reaction. So she does have ska roots. How, how did he know? I, who knows how Nardwar finds out yeah. what yeah. he finds out. She was surprised that he knew. Let's just yeah, say I'm that. surprised. I'm like, wow, that's a, that's not a show she played. That's when she was at. Yeah, it's like a it's like a kid, like the first time she went to see a show. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. (laughs) Good research, Nardwar. Good research. When we first talked about doing this interview, yeah. You said that uh you disagree with um this idea that Ska's maligned. And uh you thought it'd make make for an interesting discussion. Yeah, but then like when I first heard about it, you're like in defense of ska. I was like, what in defense? It's you know (laughs) uh I you know, I think uh a respected and you know legit and uh, a historic you know genre but then i listened to the podcast i was listening to it and it's not what it was about at all so i, I was already i misconstrued what it was uh-huh. about so the title of it i was like oh are we going to go on and talk about defending ska and i was like oh no no there's just interviews with people and their experience with ska so its yeah. existence is a sort of you know it's just about celebrating ska. So I, I mistook it. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Wait, well, curi- curiously though, what did you, what episode did you listen to? I listened to a couple. It, it was funny because as I was listening, it was an interview and I was like, oh, it's just an interview. And then it never got to like some discussion of like, we have to defend it. It was like, and then <laughs> I, it just, that's, 
I was, you know, trying to think like, oh, let's let's get to it. And then I was like, oh no, this is it. So then great. <laughs> I think because what you said in the initial email was you were saying how kind of popular it was. And I think like Scott was actually pretty well respected in the nineties when it was popular. Yeah. I think there's been there's been a period after the nineties where it stopped being popular and then people sort of turned it into this like thing where like a parody of it where they don't really understand the culture of it, the subculture of it kind of act like, you know, it's dead, it's gone. Like I, th- there's a whole thing that happened in the two thousands. And I think it's kind of changing again in more recent years, but yeah, that was the, the idea of defending Scott came from that. And I wrote a book about it and stuff and uh. the podcast came from the book. So we don't like defend Scott per se every episode, but yeah. Oh, I see. But just saying that it that it can sit alongside punk and hardcore, like it's it's not like some weird thing that only happened for like a few months in the nineties. No, it's, it's I even think of uh not it's not my crazy opinion, but I uh I think Obladi Oblada is is written as a ska song. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh I think based on something Paul McCartney was listening to or someone he knew. Um uh, not that they, inv- I'm just, by the way, I'm not saying that they invented Scott. I'm just saying that like, <laughs> it was, it was reflected in pop music. Yes. Is what I meant. What I've read is that the, the Desmond mentioned in the song, that was a reference to Desmond Decker. Oh, wow. See, I didn't know that. So I think it was in, on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That makes it even more so. Yeah, I mean, Scott was Scott and reggae and rocksteady was so popular in the in England in the sixties. I mean, yeah, I mean, I learned that later. I had no yeah. idea, but I don't know. I like learning that you know later. That's fine by me. That you know, <laughs> that I wasn't like versed in like the history of Scott and reggae, and you know, until later is you know, I'm still learning about Scott. So in some ways, sure, you know. We're learning right now. <laughs> so, uh, as you know, as we began this whole thing, anyway, yeah, I was already on board. But by the by the way, even if it was a case of like where it was going to be a debate, I was happy to come on. Sure, you know, I wasn't like, well, I, I just you know, it all it all seemed cool anyway. I just like talking about Scott, so that was fine by me. Maybe we should do a debate then, a debate show. we should do a debate of who likes ska the most okay oh it's it's aaron (laughs) yeah probably we'll see (laughs) don't go anywhere if you want to hear the rest of this conversation head over to our patreon Thank you for listening to In Defense of Scott. Please rate and review this podcast and tell a friend. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at In Defense of Scott. Pick up Aaron's book, In Defense of Scott, at your local bookstore or online. This podcast is edited by Chris Reeves of Scott Punk International. This is your co-host, Adam Davis of Omnigon, leaving you by saying Scott now more than ever. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early 
so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.